Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. It's our pleasure to welcome you to the program. Please stay with us for this hour. We are about to open the Bible again, and we find ourselves in the book of uh, Revelation, mostly. A wonderful book with uh, very sound information for this time we live in, and we are going to explore a little bit uh, more. Today we are going to talk about the everlasting gospel, but I would like to welcome our uh, panel, and I'll say hello to Jerry. It's good to have you with us, Jerry. Thank you, Nick. It's a pleasure to be here. Hi, Joe. Good to have you with us. Thank you, Nick. Yes, well, good to be here. And hello, Lynn. Yes, hello, listeners. We hope that this program today is going to be of great benefit to you. Ken, it's good to have you part of this too. Thank you, Nick. It's always a privilege to be here. And Will, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Nick. It's uh, great to be part of it. Denise, it's good to have you part of this program. And I would like to thank you for uh, putting together this uh, discussion you are going to facilitate uh, today. And um, welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick. I'm looking forward to it. Well, as I mentioned, uh, we we are going to talk a little bit more about the um, everlasting gospel, uh, and many of the passages in Revelation are very relevant for this uh, topic. And uh, please take us through. Sure. The gospel is God's love story to fallen human beings. It is an amazing story where God takes the initiative to save us eternally because he created us and he loves us. The gospel shows God's character of love, mercy and holiness seen clearly in the plan of salvation. There is no other love in the universe that can match God's love for each one of us. So let's have a closer look at the title of our study for today. The words everlasting gospel are found in the book of Revelation in particular, but what do these words actually mean? Everlasting means lasting forever, eternal and without end. And what does the word gospel mean? It means the good news, the good news about Jesus, an unquestionable truth about Jesus. If we put these two meanings together, then we have a picture of the truth about what Jesus has done for human beings when he came to this earth and what, and that what he did here lasts forever. For this particular study, we're going to be looking, as Nick said, at the book of Revelation, which reveals an important message from Jesus to the world. I wonder what that message might be for each one of us. As we study the everlasting gospel in the Bible today, it is my prayer that we will find the important messages from Jesus that are full of hope and promise for each of us who are broken and suffering human beings. Ken, would you lead us in an on-air prayer, please, before we start our study today? Certainly. Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you so much for bringing us all together again today to put your word forward. Heavenly Father, we're living in the most exciting and yet the worst times this earth has ever known. More than ever, Heavenly Father, people are lost, have lost direction and are not sure what's coming upon the earth. We have disasters all around us, and there's only one hope, and that is the hope of Jesus. Lord, as we put your words forward today, 
Please send the Holy Spirit out to all those that are searching and looking to find what is happening in the world and what the Bible says about the soon return of Jesus. Just pray, Heavenly Father, that you bless us all as we put your message out faithfully to all those that are listening in this wonderful opportunity we have placed before us today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you, Jim. When most people think about the book of Revelation, they might be scared away by the description of frightening beasts, mysterious symbols and strange images, rather than realise that it is a book filled with a message of hope and God's generous grace for each of us. Joe, can you look at Revelation 1 verses 1 to 3 and Revelation 14 verse 6 and tell us about the everlasting gospel? Certainly. I'll read Revelation 1, 1 to 3, and it says this, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all the things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. And the other text is also in Revelation. This time it's in chapter 14, and it's verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. How are these two texts linked? Well, the opening verses of Revelation tell us where the message came from. That is God by sending an angel to John, who then wrote down what he saw and heard. So it's a message from God expressly sent. And the purpose of the message, you might wonder, well, it is to more fully reveal the work and person of Jesus Christ. And there is also a a blessing pronounced on those who study to understand and are mindful of the things in it. Hence, whatever is is contained in the book of Revelation is very, very important. So then when we go to chapter 14 and we see a powerful angel proclaiming the everlasting gospel with a loud voice, well, when you hear, you ought to listen carefully to the message. And why? Well, it tells us for the time is at hand. So in a nutshell, The first three texts in the book of Revelation lay a foundation for the proclamation of the everlasting gospel to every nation, tribe, and language, and people. Now, we've all heard some say that, oh, we cannot ever hope to understand the book of Revelation. It's too cryptic. It's too obscure. And others say, yes, yes, it's all good to try and understand, but it was written for that time and has been fulfilled a long time ago. Yet, That is not what the book says about itself. It's not what God says about it. We are to read to understand and then keep what we find. God has promised to bless us. So I guess there's that connection. Thank you, Joe. Um, Will, there's another important message for us in Revelation 1 verses 5 and 6. Can you share with us what that important message is? Yes, following on from what Joe has said, that uh, people often think, that the Bible is about cryptic messages. Verse 5 and 6 of Revelation reads, From Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, 
and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Well, the focus is right here on Jesus, right at the beginning of the book of Revelation. What this verse actually tells us is that Jesus is the one who loved us and washes us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. In Christ we are forgiven. Grace pardons our past. Grace empowers our future and uh, provides us hope not only for today, but for the future years as well. In all Christ, in Christ we are delivered from uh, sin's penalty and power. And one day soon we will be delivered from sin's presence. This is the message of uh, the Bible's last book, Revelation. Good news, Denise. It's good news indeed. It's wonderful news. Thank you, Will. Um, Len, can you please summarize then what the gospel is about and why this is such an urgent message for the times in which we are living? The gospel is all about the retrieving of the relationship between God and man. You see, when God made man, he intended to have a relationship with man forever. But because of disobedience, man broke that relationship and the situation was like this. The old nursery rhyme, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. And that's so true as it relates to sin and the broken relationship with God. Everything that we do or try to do will not retrieve the situation. And God himself stepped in, took the punishment that man has to uh, accept because of his sinful condition in order to uh, restore the relationship. And I just want to back that up with some Bible verses. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then Romans 7, 24 and 25, the Apostle Paul recognized the terrible situation he was in. He said, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? Then he answers his own question. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then the whole gospel is summarized in John 3, verse 16, the Bible's most famous text, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, how does this relate to our day and age? Well, Every time I listen to the news, I hear of the desperation and the hopelessness that people are living under. 
This message that we're talking about, the everlasting gospel, will bring hope and satisfaction to people knowing that God has something far better in store for them if only they are willing. That's the gospel according to me. Thank you, Lynn. That was a great summary. Jerry, um, what does it mean when the gospel is described as grace-filled? Yeah, Denise, we, we just heard Len uh, quote John 3.16. Um, I, I actually think also of John 3.17, uh, which says that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And that's good news. And in fact, um, I look at Paul, what he says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, where he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, good news, for it is God's power for salvation for all who believe, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. In other words, the gospel is full of the power of God to save us, which, by the way, is the only way we can be saved. And that power is found in, in, the, in the pure and holy and sinless life of Christ and his sacrifice on Calvary's cross for the human race. You know, in Romans chapter 5, I think it's five times it talks about the pervasiveness of sin and how it's it's affected, it infected everything. And it finishes with the words, where sin abounded, grace much more. It's grace-filled. And I, I, I like the, uh, the phrase, if you like, that God's grace leaves sin for dead. We have a, a hymn that we sing, uh, Hymn 109, Marvellous Grace. And uh, perhaps if I could just read one or two verses from it, it says there, Marvellous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. God's grace is full of power, and uh, we can rejoice in that, I think. Yes, we can. Thank you, Jerry. Um, in Revelation 14, verse 6, is the beginning of the three angels' messages for mankind. Ken, can you read this text again and tell us what the main message is about the everlasting gospel? Certainly. This is Revelation 14, and verse 6. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation, and kindred, and tongue, and people. Now here we see, as has been mentioned a moment ago, this gospel is everlasting. The main message, I believe, is Christians are to tell everyone about the good news and the free gift of God through Jesus' Son, about God's pardon for all our sins because Jesus took our sins on the cross. Through his sacrifice, we are united to God, if we accept Jesus in our lives through faith, not through any works or good deeds, because we cannot earn this reward. It's free to all that would accept Jesus and follow his ways as outlined in the Bible. Thanks, Ken. There's a reference to God's judgment and the fall of Babylon and the mark of the beast in Revelation. But if we don't understand what the gospel is first, then none of these other issues will be understood either. So that's why we're focusing on the everlasting gospel in our study today. 
Jerry, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 4, what idea of hope is presented here in relation to the gospel? Uh, if we read those verses, uh, Denise, um, perhaps if we have time to read them, it says there, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So here we see the fact that uh, if we hang on to our faith in Christ, who died for our sins and was buried and rose from the dead, we can have confidence that we too may live in the blessed hope of the resurrection to eternal life. Uh, Titus calls it the blessed hope of the gospel. And we can have that hope too. Thanks, Jerry. Now, Nick, in Romans 3, verses 24 to 26, we find more ideas about what the gospel means. Can you have a look at these verses and tell us what you found there? Sure, Denise. I just want to uh, mention a couple of things before I'm reading these uh, verses in Romans, because we talk about uh, the book of Revelation uh, today quite a bit, and uh, how can we find the gospel in the book of Revelation. Now, um, in English, it's good, because uh, Revelation, it's even more clearer that it's about to reveal the will of God, the will of Jesus Christ, to reveal Jesus Christ, to reveal his grace. But actually, in many other languages, that's not the case. Uh, the book of Revelation is known as Apocalypse, for example, um, which may uh, bring some references, you know, to the mind of people thinking of destruction, thinking of about, you know, uh, when you talk about apocalyptic events, then uh, people will have different ideas. It's a pity that um, many people don't... Uh, Look into this wonderful book, uh, Revelation, you know, the last book of the Bible, which is so beautifully full of information about the time we live in, the condition we are in, and also the wonderful uh, love of God and grace, which we can find in abundance in the book of Revelation. Many people are switched off or maybe you know, don't want to look into that because of a lot of symbolism there. But all those symbolisms and all those things, they are very well explained in the Bible. And if we like to know the truth, then we should um, search the Bible. But let's look, um, read this couple of verses from Romans chapter 3. And uh, verse 24 and uh, up to 26, it says here, talking about, uh, you know, God, it's, it's um, bringing to our attention that we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as appropriation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. And in verse 26 says, 
it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What a beautiful uh, passage there and uh, how beautifully explains God's love towards us, providing everything what is needed. You know, when we look um, at these passages and comparing, in in particular with uh, Revelation 14, verses 6 to 12, which is pivoting around these verses, which we call the the three angel messages, uh, or as we put it in our study, the cosmic messages. Very important for me and for you, my dear friend, today. Why not to explore a little bit more of this? We are not able to bring everything to, to the table probably through these programs, but it will be very good if, um, if we'll open this, uh, this book and give, give some time to learn more. Thank you, Nick. Will, you'd like to say something? Yes, Romans chapter 3, verses 24 to 26 in the uh, New King James Version, it says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You know, I've often thought that Paul could quite easily have just stated that God justifies us by his grace. But he adds the word freely, making it read being justified freely by his grace. You know, our Heavenly Father is really keen to save us. There's no force or reticence. There is a deep and loving initiative and response here. It reminds me of another, uh, me of another assurance using the word free. In John 8, 36, it says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed, justified freely. Free indeed. What a great realization. Great idea. Thank you, Will. Lynn, in Romans 5, 6 to 10, there's another explanation about the gospel. Can you share what that explanation is with us, please? I'd love to, but first I'd like to tell you a little story. A few weeks ago, I was talking to a man who had a brand new motorbike. It was a cruiser. It had cruise control and radio and all the bells and whistles. I think it was even equipped with GPS. I was curious about his number plate. Head on there, Roman 5. And I said, well, is your surname Roman? No, he said. I I thought, well, this is interesting. And then he told me why he had chosen this particular identification for his motorbike. He said, Romans 5 is my favorite chapter in the Bible. It's a beautiful chapter. And I suppose that beautiful new motorbike reflects the beautiful chapter in Romans, which explains the gospel very well. I want to read from verse 6 right through to 10. And it says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, or some versions say, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. 
Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, if that's not beautiful, I don't know what is. Going on. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more will we, will we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Now, some people see God as a God of wrath and punishment. Yes, it's true. Sinners, unrepentant sinners, will be punished with eternal death. But the other side of God is revealed in this chapter and in those verses I read. God is a God of grace and love. And if we're willing to be reconciled, He's very, very, very happy to receive us and accept us as his children. Okay, would you like to summarise the four main points that come from Romans about the gospel and what it offers us, Len? All right, okay. Well, the first point is this. We are made right with God by his grace, and I've just explained that. Secondly, Grace is a declaration of God's righteousness or love for us. Thirdly, grace makes right those who accept Jesus by faith. Fourthly, God's love was shown to us while we were yet sinners. No, we didn't have to get ourselves all cleaned up and beautiful. God was accepted us. While we were sinners, and um, that's the kind of God that He is. Thank you, Lynn. That's great news. Joe, the plan of salvation was put into place before the world was created. Can you have a look at three texts: Second Timothy one nine, Titus one verse two, and Ephesians one verse four, and explain to us why the gospel is called the everlasting gospel and what this has to do with the plan of salvation. Okay, well, I'll start by reading them, and you'll find that there are there are common thoughts in each passage. So I'll start with Second Timothy one nine. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. The next one is from Titus 1, 1 and 2. I've just added the first text to give us a little bit more understanding. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time and which now at his appointed season he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God, our Saviour. The last one 
Ephesians 1, 4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Now, all three of these texts refer to some distant point in the past. The texts say before the beginning of time, the promise was made, before the creation of the world, he chose us. This everlasting gospel, which is also called the plan of salvation, came into being even before it was needed. Not just in case, but God Because God understood, he knew that it will be needed. God was not taken by surprise by the fall of Lucifer or Adam and Eve for that matter because he is omniscient. Hence, the everlasting gospel reaches across time, space, and embraces us, the sinner who stands needy of a redeemer, not trusting in his or her or my own abilities, but the provisions made for them eons ago. We have been predestined for adoption to sonship, daughtership through Jesus Christ. That is all of us, not just the squeaky clean. Thanks, Joe. Ken, what do we learn about the plan of salvation from Revelation 13, 8 and 1 Peter 1, 18 to 20? Well, there's some very interesting information in this, and I'll start off with Revelation 13 and verse 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb of Slain from the foundation of the world. And First Peter uh, chapter 1 and verse 18, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you. Now here we see we have a very important piece of information. God is never caught by surprise. He knows all things before they happen. And so it was with mankind. God knew that we would fall by sin and die, as Romans tells us in chapter 6 and verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he had this plan in place long before Jesus came to this earth, that Jesus would be our scapegoat or bearer of our sins, so that we could escape the death sentence that sin carries and the exclusion from everlasting life. Thank you. That was You explained that very well. Will, in Ephesians 1 verse 4, there's a very encouraging thought for each one of us there. Can you share that with us? Yes, Ephesians 1 verse 4 says, He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, I could ask the question, Denise, how could I be set apart or chosen as someone of special importance to God long before I even exist. Yes, even before the foundation of the world. The key key seems to lie in the words, in him, because the Bible says he chose us in him. This suggests that the Eternal Father, through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, is so keen 
to have me and you live with him, that he highlighted my name, your name, in his mind even before I was conceived. Do I really understand it? No. Do I deserve it? Absolutely not. But it's great news nonetheless. Yes, it is. Thank you, Will. Uh, Nick, there's a really good quote in a book called The Desire of Ages uh, about the plan of salvation and why the plan was instituted. Could you please read this passage for us? Yes, sure, Denise. Just before I'm reading that, I'd like to just give a little bit of information about this book, The Desire of Ages. One of the best books written on the life of Jesus I believe this book was endorsed, um, I know for sure it was endorsed by the Queen of Romania at that time, but I'm pretty sure it was endorsed even by the Senate in the United States of America at that time. It's one of the most precious books, which you may have it in your hands, my dear friend, listening today. Please don't hesitate to contact us and ask for this book, The Desire of Ages. I'm going to read a very... A small paragraph from page 22. And it says, The plan for our redemption was not an afterthought, a plan formulated after the fall of Adam. It was a revelation of the mystery which had been kept in silence through times eternal, which can be reflected in uh, Romans chapter 16. It was an unfolding of the principles that from eternal ages have been the foundation of God's throne. What a wonderful uh, thing to know that God had in plan for me and you. A wonderful plan which cost dearly our God. But to put that grace in place for me and you, my dear friend, which are sinners, but through his grace, in repentance to our Lord Jesus Christ, we have free entrance. Thank you, Nick. Len, you'd like to say something? Yes, I'd like to take the, that thought just one step further. There's a beautiful gospel song which says something like this. While Jesus was hanging on the cross, I was on his mind. Now, I I don't know the song that well, but I've heard it a few times. Just think of it. I hadn't even been born, and yet Jesus died for me. I was on his mind. And that's um, very much like what Nick was saying. But before the foundation of the world, God had already already done the groundwork for the plan of salvation to come into action if man fell into sin. And how grateful we can be for that. When Jesus hung on the cross, I was on his mind. He yes. wants my company forever. And he wants yours. It's pretty incredible, isn't it? The everlasting gospel or the plan of salvation is therefore not just about the past. It's also about the present, but more importantly, it concerns the basis of our future hope. 
It speaks of living eternally with God, whose heart is aching for all of us to be with him forever. Now, in uh, Revelation 14.6, it tells us who is meant to preach the everlasting gospel and who is meant to hear it. It says the everlasting gospel is an end-time message to be preached to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. So who is going to do this preaching? It's a huge mission for Jesus' true followers, which leads us from a preoccupation with ourselves to a passion for sharing this good news for Christ to all those around us. Joe, can you have a look at some verses in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen to 20 that correlate to the first angel's message found in Revelation fourteen six, and talk to us about that connection, please? Sure, sure. Now, we'll all remember that when Jesus, well, from our study of Scripture, when Jesus walked the earth, his people had a very exclusive mindset toward the nations around them. While, yes, they were not to be like the people living around them or intermarry with them, and this was not because of their ethnicity but because of their faith system. Now, if they turned away from idolatry and paganism and converted to Judaism, they would would be or should have been welcome to join the nation of Israel. And we have many examples of this in Scripture. Now, the people of Israel were to be a witness for God, a, a light, if you like, in the spiritual darkness around them. And they did well at times, but fell short of that mark most of the time. And Scripture tells us much about their experiences. You know, out of these failures, among other reasons, they became more and more insular, unfortunately. So that led that um, outside Israel, no one really mattered or was even worthy of salvation. So they had they had this mindset. Now, when Jesus came, he tried to remove these prejudices while ministering to them. And almost the very last words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew were these and is known as the Great Commission. I'll read them to you from Scripture. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Oh, wow. Isn't that just for us? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We have very similar wording used in Revelation 14, and we've read it a number of times. This message was to go to all. You know, we've read it, the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. So the eternal gospel or the everlasting gospel is to go to everyone. There are no exclusions, no exemptions, no exceptions, no excuses. The message is to go to every living person so that every breathing soul will be given the opportunity to hear the gospel. And your question is, how do these two texts correlate? I think they are a repetition and amplification of the same message with a greater sense of sober urgency in Revelation. Again, because the time is at hand. Thank you, Joe. It's interesting that from those texts where we we hear the message and we have an opportunity to make our choice. God doesn't say you have to choose my message, you have to choose what I've done for you, you have to accept it. He says uh, it's up to you to choose. Jerry, can you read the quote from Paul David Tripp that starts uh, 
talking about our purpose as followers of Jesus. Yeah. Um, he says, and I quote, human beings were created to be part of something bigger than their own lives. Sin causes us to shrink our lives down to the size of our lives. The grace of Christ is given to rescue us from the claustrophobic confines of our own little self-focused kingdom and frees us to live for the eternal purposes and satisfying delights of the kingdom of God. Now, I thought about that. And, um, we, you know, we always, we often talk about seeing the bigger picture. For people who don't have a faith in Christ, all they see really is their own little life, as it were, the few short years that you have here, and perhaps they are fearful looking forward to the inevitable, uh, the death that awaits us all. And I've often said to people, you know, death isn't the worst thing that can happen to you. That might be a, sound strange to say that, but uh, what's far worse is if you don't accept the offer of salvation, the gift of salvation that is freely given to you and is there for the taking, as it were, there for the asking. It changes the whole scenario. What that does is take you from your own little life, as he describes it here, into eternal life. And um, I'm thinking of the words again in that hymn 109 where it finishes with the verse, Marvellous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe. You that are longing to see his face, will you this moment his grace receive? If we do, then it changes everything. Thank you, Jerry. Um, panel, I'd like you to um, have a, um, a go at talking about this question. How how does being involved in the service of Jesus to spread his message of salvation to all help us focus on others rather than ourselves? Ken? Lisa, I think that there's nothing more important any of us can do than to share the gospel with other people. Sure, the panel, many of the panel members would feel this way. I know when I have that opportunity to share the gospel with someone, irrespective of if they are interested or not interested, the feeling you get is one of, of great joy. That's the way I feel. And of course, as we know, we only sow the seed. We don't necessarily convince that person at that time that we share the gospel, but we have sown the seed that the Holy Spirit can work on. And, and especially in the times we live in, when we realize that the return of Jesus is very, very close, time is very, very limited. And Satan is doing all he can to distract people in every way, shape and form from spending time or taking an opportunity to look into what's going on in this world and why it's happening. Anyone with half a brain can see that this world is absolutely crazy and it's not getting any better. It's actually getting a lot worse, as the Bible describes. So the mission that we have to share the gospel, nothing can be more important. Thanks. Nick, you had something to say, and then Len. Yes, I thought I will, I will just uh, read this uh, verse again. We alluded to uh, Revelation 14, verse 6. Because this is very important. And I may just read a bit of verse 7 also. 
It says here, then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe, language and people. And in verse 7 said this, and he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Now, we are talking today about grace. That's wonderful. Salvation is by grace. But the reality is that we are going to face an eternal God, which is just. And we cannot afford to just take it easy, this journey of faith. I hear in many churches today, in Christendom, just talking about grace, the love of God. And that's all. But that brings much more to the table and involves me, my dear friend, and you maybe, to proclaim this good news, the gospel, to every nation, tribe, people, to everyone around us. We cannot afford just to sit back, warm the pews in the church, go for a couple of hours to the church, and then carry on with life for the rest of the week. I think we are called for an urgent attitude to talk about this wonderful good news, the gospel. Why not to take on board this and join the army of God to spread the good news, the gospel, through the end of the world, and Jesus will come? I've heard some people say, I've got the best job in the world. Well, the question is, what is the most noble occupation in the world? And um, I think there would be plenty of people who would say the most noble occupation in the world is bringing a message of hope to the unsaved. In other words, bringing the gospel to the unsaved is probably the most noble occupation in the world. All of us here on the panel today, are involved in bringing that hope to the to the world, to the lost, via the radio. And I think um, and I hope that you who are listening will realise that you too can have eternal life. God is willing if you are willing. Thanks, Lynn. Will, you had something you wanted to say? Len has said that it's the best job in the world. I know that uh, Pastor Mark Finley once wrote, there is nothing more inspiring, more fulfilling, more rewarding than being part of a divine movement, providentially raised up by God to accomplish a task far bigger, far larger than any one human being could ever accomplish on their own. The commission given by God, described in Revelation 14, is the greatest task ever committed to man. It is the it is an earnest appeal to give our lives to heaven's grandest task, to reveal God's incomprehensible love just before Jesus' return. Well, that is a job indeed, and uh, not only responsible, but an enjoyable one. Thank you, Will. Len, there's some uh, information about the early Adventists who felt 
very empowered to deliver this three angels' messages to the world. Can you talk about that for a couple of minutes? Yes, I can. <clears throat> the word Adventist simply refers to somebody who's expecting the advent, that is, the return, that is, the second coming of Christ. That's where the word Adventist is from. The early Adventists, in studying the Bible, very earnestly realized that Jesus was coming sooner rather than later. And they made it their business to uh, spread that news, not just the gospel, but the return of Jesus Christ. And here's a little note that I'd like to share about them. Through a perceptive, deep study of the Bible, the early Adventists had a growing understanding of the significance of these messages. They sensed that God had a message tailor-made for this generation, an urgent end-time message that must be proclaimed to every nation, tribe, tongue and people in order to prepare the world for Christ's return. The messages of the three angels have been the motivation for Adventist missions since its beginnings. So the Seventh-day Adventist Church is still involved, more widely involved, in spreading the news about the salvation that's available for people if they choose, and also about Christ's return. Now, I did come across some figures once, and I think from memory that the Adventist Church has a presence in something like 225 out of about the 250 different countries in the world. So the message is still going forth by radio, satellite, by TV, by people uh, sharing books and things like that. And uh, the message is just as urgent. No, it's even more urgent now than it was when the Adventist Church first began. Thanks, Lynn. Now, Ken, you mentioned earlier about the soon coming of Jesus. Can you tell us what Acts 1 verse 8 and Matthew 24 verse 14 say about the importance of that? Yes, I'll start off with Acts 1 and verse 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and on to the uttermost part of the earth. And in Matthew 24, verse 14, we read, and this gospel, this is the everlasting gospel, kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Now, these two messages tell us that Christians will have the ability to share the good news gospel about Jesus all over the world, and that once everyone hears this, Jesus is going to return to this earth. Now, what I mean by Christians have the ability, I know many people are shy and they maybe don't know the Bible very well. You don't need to do all these things. You don't need to be a, a student of the entire Bible to share, to share the gospel. But we have a, a commitment and a commandment and an undertaking from the gospel to share this message 
to everyone that we're able to. I would also like to add that over the years, there have been many individuals who have claimed that Jesus was coming. However, the signs of his return are explained in Matthew 24, and at that time had not been fulfilled. However, these signs are all being fulfilled now. All over the world, there are Christians who are warning people that Jesus is coming very soon. Thank you, Ken. Nick, you wanted to say something, and then, Jerry, you've got something you'd like to add. Because we are talking about this uh, great uh, mission movement, and Len was um, talking about the Seventh-day Adventist Church in particular, uh, being present in uh, most of the countries of this world. Actually, uh, maybe less than 10, 15 countries are not reached by the um, uh, Seventh-day Adventist Church. Now, I like to mention this. This is a small group in comparison with the whole world. You know, uh, 8 billion people on this planet Earth. The Seventh-day Adventist Church numbers around 20 million people. And being able to be present in all these uh, parts of the world. Why? Because has a mission-minded. The disciples of Jesus Christ in the early church, they were able to reach the known world at that time in a small number. Why? Because they were on the mission. They have the mission of sharing the gospel to everyone on this planet Earth. Why not to join this movement, my dear friend? to be able to reach out to everyone in this world. We are not about numbers. We are about commitment. We are about to believe in our Lord Jesus Christ, to share this good message, because there is not much time left. We mentioned before that we live in this world, troublous world. We are privileged to live in these times, in these days. But what a responsibility we have. May God bless each one of us to take on board this and to share the wonderful good news, the grace of God to every single person on this planet Earth in Jesus' name. You know, we live in a time of enormous confusion in the world. If you could use the biblical term Babylonian confusion, where especially in, in, the, in the religious world, people believe all kinds of stuff. And, you know, you, you sometimes think, how is the everlasting gospel, the truth that Jesus spoke and gave us commission to, to preach, how is that ever going to get out? But we can have full confidence that it will be heard and understood as we've been uh, touching on with the three angels' messages. But right at the end, in chapter 18 of Revelation, if I could just read the first two verses, it says there, Next I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great power and authority. As he approached the earth, his presence bathed the whole world in a brilliant light. I was told that this angel had been sent from God to give power to the final proclamation of the gospel. And, and that fills me with great hope. God will intervene. God will pour out his spirit upon this. He loves this world. He loves the people who are in darkness. He wants people to know what the everlasting gospel is. And he will take matters in his own hands, I'm sure. And, uh, and make sure that people have an intelligent understanding of what that everlasting gospel is so that the choice they make is the right choice. Now, whether everybody's going to make that choice 
is another matter that we know that sadly a lot of people won't. But everything will be made abundantly clear so that people can make the right choice. And uh, I'm thankful that we can play our small part in that. Well, listeners, that's the end of our study on the everlasting gospel. So um, I'd like to ask you, I wonder what message you have heard from God today during our study. Do you feel the urgency of accepting Jesus' offer of eternal life for you today? Do you want a purpose in life, that of sharing this message about Jesus and his offer of eternal life to others? The time is here when we need to make our decision and what are we going to do with Jesus and his generous offer of salvation? What will be your decision today? As for me and the panel, I'm sure we're going to follow Jesus and continue to share the message of the gospel. Amen. Will, would you please um, deliver our final prayer for our study today? I will, thank you. Lord, how humbling it is for us to realise that you have chosen us even before we were born to become heirs of the promise of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then to be invited to carry the good news of life, eternal, to the whole world, it is just too much for us to comprehend. And even so, we thank you for the amazing grace of including us in your plan and making us part of the family of heaven. Please accept our praise and deep gratitude, Lord, in and through the name of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, everyone, for your time today. Uh, great uh, Bible study. I'll invite you, my dear friend, to join us again next time when we are going to learn what that means to fear God and give glory to Him. Until then, may God richly bless you and have a wonderful, safe walk in the footsteps of Jesus.